Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Okay. My partner's recovery and self-discovery is very helpful to my healing. I am worried that I'm too dependent on his input to help me when he's already abandoned me in times of need. Do I need to focus on my own personal recovery independent of him? For example, controlling emotions during triggers on my own rather than going to him for clarification calming. It's a great question. I mean, this is a spouse is very insightful, I think, and really saying, you know, how do I make myself feel good about myself? Because it feels really good to me when uh, when my partner tells me that they did this or they did, in other words, it's satisfying to get another piece of information um, or um, yeah, partner's recovery and self-discovery is very helpful in my healing. Um, but are you too dependent on his input to help? Yeah. Um, I don't think those two pieces go together. Um, the fact that you've been abandoned in times of need is a different question from um, am I too dependent or not on him? Um, you have to deal I understand the question is, should I lean on him again if he disappointed me like that? Maybe I'll make a mistake and lean on him again and I'll get hurt again. Um, and I think what Tammy and I would say is, this is a really good time to spread your needs around. You know, uh, it's fine to lean into the people you love or trust, but now you know that um, this person is not, especially in its early stages, they're not going to be able to feed your emotional self. They probably weren't earlier. But they really have to focus on themselves right now. And if something disappointing does happen, I want you to have three people to call and a therapist to go see and a group to go to. And, you know, I want you to have the support that you need so that when you do lean into someone, and this is true for everybody in every situation, you know, I, I absolutely want to lean into my spouse for everything that we can lean into each other for. But sometimes we just want to throw tomatoes at each other. And I need to call a friend and say, I, I wish I had more tomatoes. You know? <laughs> so uh, I do think it's a lot about spreading around. It isn't so much about should I depend on him or not. It's about how diverse are my, uh, is my support. So if that particular strut breaks, I'm going to be able to take care of myself. And that leads to the second part, which is, yes, if you, if you want to create all of that support, then you have to focus on your own personal recovery independent of, of him. It's sort of like this. It's like in a coupleship, you're used to, you know, the two of you being your primary source of support. And now you can't be anymore. You know, someone's too angry. Someone's too broken. Someone's too busy. Someone doesn't trust. I mean, you have to, it's not that you don't need to lean on people in the way you did each other, but now it's not, you're not ready. So you really have to turn outward for your support. And the good news is when you do turn back together, you've got all of that support. So yeah, I think it's very, very important for you to work on your recovery, but we're not talking about codependency. You know, I'm not, I don't think it's, when you say personal recovery, what I think about is um, going to supportive environments, making new friends, um, self-care, um, you know, go, uh, going for a weekend away with a friend, spending more time with your, you know, whatever it is that's good for you, that is your, and grieving, you know, those belong to your personal recovery. Um, but if you're thinking about, well, do I need to work on my trauma from my past history? Because not, 
I mean, not at all. <laughs> not if you don't choose to. So, um, and by the way, if you're having strong emotions and being like feeling triggered, don't go to him. You would go to him if there was no one else to turn to. But it's almost like having a sponsor, having a support. You absolutely have a right to have someone be there for you to help you when you're triggered. Absolutely. But you guys have a long history of kind of, you know, dealing with these issues not in the best ways. And I think turning outward again is is your best choice. Um, no, I, so. I I agree. I, I mean, I I when people call, I'm often saying you guys can't be each other's, you know, sole support, it, right. you know, the, the, you need more. So even taking you out of the equation, he needs support. Like the opposite of addiction is healthy attachment. We need, you know, I was talking to somebody earlier today and I was like, our best thinking gets us in this issue. And then we suddenly think that we're going to be able to figure it all out and do it on ourselves. It doesn't work that way. I, I don't, I've been around a while. I don't know anybody that has been successful for that. So, and I'm sure somebody's going like, but I'm going to be, you know, but, but for the partners. So, you know, letting that person work on themselves and get, you know, and it's okay to say, you know, I mean, please do the check-ins like that's do those check-ins, do things that are still connecting, but you deserve to have strong emotions and not go, Oh, I, you know, I need to control these so that, you know, that I don't trigger him either. No, you mm. go vent to your betrayed partner group and go, Oh my gosh, I'm so, you know, whatever you, you deserve the emotions, you guys getting, support from other people so that you can do check-ins and, you know, show up for each other on certain levels, but not the, not the deepest levels yet. There's, it's a, it's a journey. Just understand that, you know, it doesn't get fixed overnight. It didn't happen overnight. Okay. So let's go to, hello, Dr. Rob, is depression common among addicts? Um, are symptoms different from depression with non-addicts? Is medical treatment SSRIs necessary for this or sober time will help get, get, get this, get rid of, I assume this depression. Sorry. Um, I was answering the last question. Um, so I don't, this is like a research question if you really want to get underneath it. And I don't have answers to you about that. Um, what I can say is that um, a lot of us struggle with, um, a lot of self-hatred, a lot of problems with self-esteem, um, the compulsive behaviors. Um, some of us, uh, you know, it, it, let me go back and say this. I think it's always important and helpful to get um, some kind of evaluation. You know, I struggled for years um, with my recovery. I got sober. I used to think, oh, I feel so terrible about myself because I'm acting out. That was partially true. But I was also really, really depressed. And uh, I couldn't really figure that one out. Um, so I will say about half of the clients that I have seen over the years have been on, you know, an SSRI or an SNRI. Um, and if you want to figure out what those are, feel free to look them up on Google, SSRI and SNRI. Um, uh, some people who struggle, I mean, there, there is no general answer I can give you. Some people who struggle with compulsive behavior and aren't particularly depressed will benefit from one of these drugs and they feel less compulsive and less obsessive. Other people lose interest in sex altogether. You know, it really, um, so I would say about half of us have depression. That's a lot more common than the general population. So yeah, a lot of us struggle with depression, but also anxiety and OCD and ADD. And, you know, we have a brain problem, trust me. Um, our brain doesn't work right or we wouldn't be sitting here. 
So, um, you know, if there are ways that we can make our brain and functioning improve with a really good, competent, addiction, knowledgeable psychiatrist, I'm all in. Um, um, by the way, if I had depressed, I wouldn't wait for more sober time to think I wasn't going, I was going to be less depressed. Um, just achieving sobriety is a, a reason to go celebrate. If you are unable to feel good, don't think like, well, I have to be mm -hmm. sober for 37 days in order to get, you know, depression mm -hmm. is depression. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to make your own decisions about this. There are experts who can talk to you and really, you know, a good psychiatrist, um, really worth their weight in gold will change your life. That um, understands if, addiction because not all of them do. Right. But Tammy knows people who do, and we can often make a referral or find well, someone for you. Or if you're working with a CSAT certified sex addiction uh, therapist, uh, trained therapist, they typically have someone they know that can recommend. So if you've got local connections already, great. You know, lean into lean into those. So um, so it's complicated, mm. but there's no one general answer. Okay, next question. SAPA here. At what point in your journeys did you start to see major changes in your attitudes towards addiction? I understand it's an ever transitioning process, but was there ever a day that you realized your mm -hmm. bottom line actions were not nearly as controlling as before? When you say actions, um, oh, I see the desire to act out. Yeah, I mean, I can absolutely, but it was over time. Like, and it goes back and forth. I think in sex addiction, like some, you know, I think it's like a roll forward and then take a pause and then roll forward some more. And I think it's because this is pretty psychological challenges. And so it, it goes in, in, in uh, it, it isn't an even process. But I will say that I can remember looking up and remembering that it wasn't controlling my life anymore. And that I, you know, I liked looking at people. I thought they were attractive. I appreciated what was inside of me. But but I could choose to not do that. And there was so much time when I, I saw someone, I was like, oh, I've got to go do that. Or something, oh, I can do, I mean, it would never even, even when I tried really, really hard. Um, so, um, but it, I'll say this, I never left meetings. I never left therapy. I knew how sick I was. You know, I knew how troubled I was. I still am, but I understand it. I know how to work with it. You know, uh, the trauma is something I look at. It doesn't control me. So it's, you know, I don't think any of this goes away, not the addiction, not the craziness, not, but we can learn to know ourselves better to work with ourselves more effectively. And then you realize, you know, I'm still crazy. I say things to Tammy. I'm like, did I really say that to you? But now I know it wasn't a good thing to say. And I can come back and say, I'm so sorry, you know, or whatever. I didn't even know that before. I never even would have done that before. Do I not Oh, do I still sometimes say, say things that aren't the right thing to say? Absolutely. But I recognize them. I clean them up. You know, these are the things of, of healing, I think, is to learning how to live your life with your deficits. Um, I'll tell you one more thing. I learned one of the big keys to me sobriety um, and healing was um, when I realized that I was never going to get what I didn't get. That, you know, that for many years I've been walking around kind of like a, I see myself with like a little bowl looking for someone to fill it up for me. You know, will you help me feel loved? Will you love on me? Will you, you know, and, and it kind of was a sieve, like all stuff would just fall through it. But, you know, I was waiting for that situation or that person to come along who was going to fill this up or, you know, fill this up. And when I finally realized that no one was ever going to come along to do that, that I was always going to have to live with what I didn't get back then, 
and that no one today and no behavior today was going to um, make it better. I had to learn to live with it. And I had to learn that the pain was mine. It wasn't something that others did to me. That took a, a lot of time to get to the point where I could accept that I was running around like a little kid wanting to be loved. And then to acknowledge I still needed the love, but the way I was going about it was the illness. I mean, it's just, it takes time. Um, and there are days, by the way, I really want to hear this and I'll be quiet. Um, I was walking, I went and walking now and I saw a really attractive person because it's very warm and lovely here in Santa Monica. And I thought to myself, can I have sex with that person right now in like, and still be home in time for the, this meeting? You know, you know, it, it doesn't go away, go away. And part of it is just being human, but I've learned to say, oh, you know, isn't it interesting? I had that feeling and God, and I, what I do now, God bless them. Aren't they beautiful, those young people? And I just keep going, you know, because I've learned to live with it. Anyway, Tam, I've gone on and on, but you not no, your head, so I thought- No, was, yeah, I did geez. a lot. And, you know, the, the, the fleeting, so, so yeah, there, there were so many, all I kept thinking was layers. Like there'd be so many layers and I'd go, oh, this is so much better. And then I'd get another layer and I'd go, oh, this is even better. And it isn't like, you know, it's just all magic and there wasn't, you know, bumps along the way, but, but, you know, I've had, and I still experience that, you know, I appreciate the things that I continue to learn um, so that, you know, I can look back. I always use a two-year mark. I don't know why, but um, like right now I can look back at two years ago and gosh, I'm in a better place and I do more things in a way that, you know, that I, that I'm happy about, um, congruency and all that. Um, and I'm still willing to do the work so that two years from now I can do the same thing. And that for a while was a challenge for me because I wanted to get it all wrapped up with a pretty bow and go, yes. And that didn't happen. Mm. Just doesn't. So like, you know, Dr. Rob was talking about, I had a few years ago, open the fridge and there was a, there was an open beer. My husband was making a something he cooks I don't and he so he's making some sauce and there's a, a an open glass of beer in the fridge first thought I didn't know it was there first thought was I could drink that and nobody would know and and, and then the next thought was just laughing like crazy because I was like and then I go tell my husband because I have to come clean and I was like you aren't gonna believe this and then he's freaking out and I was like no 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 I'm just sharing with you because I have to put it out there so and that's for me for my recovery for that it's you know so so but but it was so funny to have that fleeting thought but like dr rob was sharing it's like it's a fleeting thought you own it and you know and and i move on and you know i didn't relapse or any of that type of thing so um so appreciate the journey look at the look at the you know the markers along the way and go gosh i'm making progress you know uh, um, my attitude I was an early ascriber to the, I'm grateful to be a recovering addict because I was a hot mess with no plan to be able to live as a contributing member of society. I didn't know how. And so for someone to go, you're an addict and we can help you. I believe them and they were right. So gratitude. And I just kept, you know, I've continued the journey. I'm just going to keep listening to recovering people. So. I just want to say one more thing, and I know we're taking a lot of time with this one, but um, you said, you know, was ever a day you realized that your bottom line actions were not as controlling before as before? And I think, um, I don't think there is a day. I think it comes and goes. And um, what I really love about what you said here and, um, is that 
you didn't say before you realized that your bottom line actions were going to stop. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. What you said was stop controlling my life. And I think that's a very realistic way of looking at this. Um, and I know you spouses absolutely want to hear it's going to stop. It's never going to come back. They're never going to want to do this again. But the reality is this is a great way to look at it, which is how can I grow to a place where this doesn't pull on me like it used to? Um, yeah, that was really good in there. Go ahead, Tammy. I'm sorry. Okay. Next question. How long after my SA husband is in recovery before I can begin to feel safe? He and his sponsor say he is in step three. He started therapy with a therapist to work on family of origin trauma today. Well, that's a tough one because, you know, each person is different and I don't know the degree to which, you know, I could say he's, he, I could say he's been acting out all along and continues to lie to you and has a girlfriend somewhere from what you said. Or I could say, um, wow, you know, in three weeks you can start feeling safe, but I don't have an answer to that because I don't know how honest he is or how committed he is or um, what does it mean to be in a step three? Does he, you know, I, I, I don't have enough information. Um, and again, I'll say to you guys, again, I don't know that everyone should start trauma therapy when they're in early recovery. Um, if you don't have a, a, a real foundation for the feelings and issues that are going to come up, and they are, when you start looking at the past, then you're just going to go back to acting out. So, you know, people ask, well, which do I work first on? Well, really have a solid foundation of support and sobriety before you get into the trauma work. So I just say that a family of origin therapy is trauma work, and it raises our anxiety, and it makes us more, you know, maybe a little bit more comfortable, and that can challenge acting out but tammy i don't have a good answer for this person do you i do i do before i can begin to feel safe you're going to feel safe when his actions are showing you that he you know that he is becoming trustworthy i cringe because i you've been around before so i know there's it's a longer period of time and i cringe when somebody's on the first three steps well i just haven't really gotten the first three steps well steps four through nine that's where you know to me, and and this is, I'm I'm in step three because I'm avoiding step four and five. I don't want to have to do them because they're harder. And everybody says, oh, they're terrible. Their freedom that that is, you know, that is where we start to change. In the promises, before we are halfway through, we're working four through nine, and we start to feel different. Things start to change. You know, we will not regret the past, nor wish to. Uh, we close the door on it. We don't have to. Um, we don't have to lie and cheat and do all of those things. So, so what I am reading, because I've seen you before here, and I'm grateful you're here, is I'm hanging out in one through three, and I'm just going to spin around there, and I'm going like, I would be going like, and you can't make him do anything. I would, I would encourage you not to begin to feel safe until his actions really show you that he is trustworthy. And um, uh, in steps one through three, I wouldn't feel safe yet. So that's just me. Okay. Now I really am typing and I found the right place. Okay. So you I, won't do all no, I won't do anything with the next one. So this is the next one is eight years ago. My first big D day, my spouse went to therapy for 18 months to save our marriage was healed. Um, our last D day was nine months ago, but now he's going through the 12 step program has finally found a sponsor goes to meetings and is now trying to save himself, which I'm grateful for last week. He was reading his journal to me 
oh, broke down sobbing. Sadly, I didn't know how to react. I basically froze and didn't know how to react. Told him I was proud of him. Wrong answer. I, I, I don't think it's a wrong answer. I think you were sharing truthfully about how, you know, I mean, were you proud of him for, for sharing with you? I mean, I, I don't know. Oh. What, what was his reaction to your saying that? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Why, why did he, I don't understand why he was crying. I didn't get that. He was reading his journal to me, broke down sobbing. Uh, so apparently why? something very painful in his journal. Right. He, maybe that's, I'm making that up, but um, sadly oh, I, I didn't Just know how to react. What do I say? Um, you know, I think you say what's in your heart. You know, I, I always think it's, it's, um, it's useful to comment on how someone feels like you really look like, you know, you're sad or you really look like something affected you. Um, you know, I think that makes people feel seen like, oh, they get what I'm dealing with or what I'm talking about just to reflect back what you see. But, um, you know, I would say something like, you know, I'm really sorry, do you want me to, do you want to tell me what it is? Can I help in some way? Um, you, because they may have a boundary around, you know, I, re I really just want me to hold me. Um, so I don't, um, by the way, I'm glad he was never healed and your marriage never healed. So I really appreciate that you guys moved past that um, into him really doing work and all of that kind of stuff. Um, what I would say, though, I'll add one more thing, is that when I see someone that I care about in recovery breaking down and crying, reading their journal, I think, woohoo, we're getting somewhere. They're getting into their stuff. And I'm not even in the room, Mr. Therapist. They're getting into it on their own. And you know what? He's not looking at porn and he's not writing letters to affair partners. And he isn't, you know, he's actually sitting there and working on himself. And so, and then having feelings about it. So I would be proud of him too. On the other hand, I don't know what he's writing down or dealing with. So I probably want to know more before I said I was proud of you. But that, that's definitely not a wrong answer. No, yeah, and, and here's the deal. This, uh, I think, what easily um, can happen is that gets compartmentalized, and we never talk about it again. I, you know, I think it's fair to go. You know, uh, we had this happen last week, and it so caught me off guard. And you know, I was, I want to elaborate. I told, I'm proud of you for sharing that with me, for willing to be vulnerable in front of me. Whatever is your truth, I'm not, you know. You know, whatever it is, you know, I, I would like to check in with you and see how you're doing. Is there any way I can support you? But, you know, I have a conversation about it. You know, open the door again. Let it, you know, like have the space to be able to have those vulnerable moments, you know, between the two of you. you know, right or wrong, you're, no relationship is done perfectly. I mean, you're, you know, like, it's like, it's okay. It's like, here's where we're at. What? You know, I, I want, I want to touch base with you about what happened and how we can, you know, move forward from here. Great. That's my thought. And we're, we're, yeah, we did, we both talked about that. So I think we're done. On but what? I want to finish this note I'm writing to someone. Oh, uh, okay. On the next one? The heel, the... No. Um, well, uh, what did I answer? Um no you were on the SA husband, the 513 one. So what did I say? You, um, oh, I don't no, know. I was working on healing rocks because I thought, you know, we were okay. to this question. So I wanted to write something. Okay. I think okay. we can quickly get through it. Um, 
um, basically both of these people in this couple ship have mental health issues and, uh, your partner goes to, you get a lot of help, but he doesn't, um, and he's not willing to go to therapy. So I just try to listen and provide emotional support. We're still very young, but we want to start a life together because we love each other, you know, but I have reservations about it. Um, well, how do we navigate this? And, and, you know, I just really, I have strong feelings about this. I wrote a book called Pro-Dependence. There's a whole chapter about this. I did some research. Two troubled people together are going to grow more effectively and more efficiently than two single people. And so if it may well be over time that as you are supportive and you're getting your mental health treatment, that he will start to move toward getting it too. But I mean, what I was really trying to say is love is hard to find. Love is hard to find and precious when found, and it just doesn't happen that often. And so if you have love, and I really believe in the whole concept of it, because it means to me attachment. If you have someone that you can be attached to, and you can deal with each other's messes and support each other's strengths, I say, you know, good for you. You found a relationship where you can both grow together. Now, if someone's abusive, you know, different issue. Um, but I don't, people are ready to find their bottom when they're ready to find their bottom. Um, meaning when he is ready to really get help for his emotional issues, he will, but I wouldn't blackmail him into doing it or not doing it. I think you should, Tammy, you're going to hate this. Follow your heart. So, um, I mean, you both have stuff. Isn't that great? Um, they can be a mess together. I love that. Yeah, you know, but, and you don't have to do it perfectly. You can be a mess together, but you can, you know, you can learn and grow. And, you know, gosh, I appreciate you being vulnerable. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.